In the middle of the 8th century BC, a young man began to speak with prophetic clarity and zeal against the wickedness of his people. He continued to do so for more than a half century. His prophetic utterances make up one of the longest works of the Old Testament. In the English Bible, it is 66 chapters long. A completed scroll of his prophecies was among the first of the treasures of the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found in Qumran Cave No. 1 in 1946. It's 24 feet long. Isaiah began his prophetic career in the final days of a once great king and kingdom. A king who, like so many, began well but ultimately died in shame. A king who, at the height of his strength, the scriptures say that his heart was lifted up to his destruction. And in his arrogance, he broke the commandment of God and he lived the final decade and a half of his life and his reign in shame and isolation as a leper. As is so often the case, a leader is really the representative of the people. Isaiah served God as a prophet in the final days, not only of a once great king, but a once great kingdom. He was there in the front row watching the downfall of the kingdom and his task in the midst of this was to be like a voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord and the Lord's judgment and wrath. The book of Isaiah is a sobering book, and when I read the book of Isaiah, I am always reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where he says that all of these things happened to them in the Old Testament scriptures to the children of Israel. All these things happened to them as examples. They're written for our admonition, our learning as we are living in the times that we're living in, in the last days, if you will. And then Paul says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. For such a time as this, I want to think through the book of Isaiah. I've read through it many times before, and I've taught through it systematically no less than five times. And every time I read Isaiah, I am reminded that history moves in cycles. A people experience peace and prosperity followed by decadence and departure from their morals and their values. The inevitable consequences of that departure arise, always bring devastation, destruction, and ruin. And at the bottom of the swing of the cycle, the remnant of the people cry out for deliverance. And in the scripture, God always raises up a leader or leaders to bring rescue and reformation leading again to a time of peace and prosperity and beginning the long cycle again. So prosperity moves to peace, leading to indulgence and decay, resulting in oppression and tyranny, bringing despair and many times penitent prayer, inviting rescue, reformation, and rest. If you read history, you'll see over and over again that this reality plays out. Perhaps the clearest expression of it in the scriptures is in the Old Testament book of Judges. The process often turns over in a four-generation cycle. It has been observed by theologians, historians, anthropologists, sociologists, by those that believe in God and by those that do not. From the Far East to the West, throughout all of human history, you can see these cycles. Of course, when looking at this, it begs the question, if it is true that history moves in cycles like this, where are we at this moment in our culture in the cycle? And I think that a careful reading and study of the book of Isaiah may help you to discover the answer to that question. God in Isaiah, chapter 1 of Isaiah, in fact, he says, Come now, let us reason together. The book of Isaiah, like so many ancient texts, it brings us face to face with the reality of what is called the retribution principle or the principle of sowing and reaping. 
So often when things fail, we want to blame someone or something other than ourselves. If an endeavor that we are committed to comes to nothing, we want to blame someone else on the project, some unseen force or outside influence. And if a nation begins to fall apart and fail, then of course it is the fault of the leaders at the top or maybe even the heavy hand of God. But it certainly has nothing to do with us, right? It's not our fault. But constantly we come back to what theologians call the Deuteronomic principle or the Deuteronomic formula. God in or through Isaiah, he brings this to the surface repeatedly in the book of Isaiah, even in the opening discourse where we read, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be whiter than snow. And though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, then you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, then you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. This is the objective truth of Revelation. How has a once faithful nation and people become unfaithfully immoral? How has a once just and righteous city come to be overrun with murderous chaos? It happens by choice, not by chance. Something to think about. We'll see you next time. Thank you.